Section 1 of Rational Theology and Christian Philosophy, Volume 1, by John Tullock. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 1. Spirit of Rational Inquiry in Protestantism. Part 1. The reformation of religion in the 16th century was the product of many influences, intellectual, spiritual, and political. The revival of learning, the rise of modern literature and higher modes of philosophy, the rediscovery, as it were, of the Bible, a widespread excitement and aspiration of faith, the growth of wider social instincts, and the exigencies of political parties were all powerful. It would be difficult to fix the proportions in which these several influences acted, for they were intermingled in a high degree, and the more we go beneath the surface, the more complex and numerous do we find the springs of the great movement to have been. A spirit of inquiry is especially conspicuous in the religious forces which preceded the Reformation, and helped to forward it. Starting mainly from a revived biblical interest, and an eager life of freshly discovered thought, these earlier forces are of a very interesting and enlightened character. They assailed the prevailing scholasticism and superstition, not only with weapons of felicitous criticism and ridicule, but also with a quiet Christian thoughtfulness which went in many cases direct to the truth. They brought the aids both of a new study of scripture and of new intellectual methods to the effort which the European mind was making in many quarters to throw off a bondage which had become intolerable. Erasmus is the well-known representative of this rational Christian spirit before the Reformation, but it had many representatives. The new learning was widely circulated and can be traced extensively not only in Germany and the Low Countries, but also in Italy and England. Along with Erasmus, and in some respects before him, must be reckoned John Wessel, Reuchlin, and Staupitz, the Platonic Academy at Florence, of which Pico and Ficino were the chief ornaments, and again Collet, Sir Thomas More, Tyndale, and others in England were all more or less reformers before the Reformation, agents in a movement antecedent to the great movement which was essentially religious, if also a great deal more than religious. The success of the later and more powerful movement has drawn attention away from this earlier impulse of reform, but it was in many respects highly significant, and deserves a closer study than it has yet received. It spoke of harmonizing Christianity and natural truth, of interpreting the books of Scripture like other books, of simplifying Christian doctrine to the limits of the Apostles' Creed, of putting the Bible before everything, and being content with the simple truths evidently set forth in it as necessary to salvation. It was broad and tolerant as well as earnest. It aimed at spiritual enlightenment rather than dogmatic change. When we turn to the great reformers themselves, these principles of intellectual freedom no longer occupy the foreground. No doubt they too carried forward the higher intelligence of their age. They were the leaders, upon the whole, of its best thought. But their special task was not so much to guide thought as to stimulate religious life. They were, above all, men of faith and of Christian enthusiasm. They were religious before everything else and what they desired for themselves and others was not primarily rational liberty so much as spiritual salvation. Their hearts and consciences were more awakened in search of peace than their minds in search of truth. They preached yet more earnestly the necessity of deliverance from the burden of guilt and sin than from the oppression of medieval dotage and ignorance. It is impossible to read the writings or study the lives of Luther, Calvin, and Knox without seeing that their main interests were thus evangelical, and turned round the great question of how the individual soul was to be reconciled with God and find peace in him. Popery was specially obnoxious to them, because it had obscured and perverted the answer to this question. St. Paul was specially dear to them, because he had given to it such an articulate and satisfactory answer. And undoubtedly it needed this mightier impulse of faith to break the superstitious sleep of centuries. The earlier spirit of reform, with its quieter intellectual impulses, could not have accomplished the same result. 
the voice of erasmus would never have moved europe as the voice of luther did it needed the cry of the evangelist rather than the inquiry of the biblical critic and rational theologian to penetrate to the popular heart and shake the religious thraldom which had so long oppressed it it was only by the spiritual forces outrunning the intellectual the enthusiasm of faith so largely absorbing the mere love of light that the reformation grew into such significance and became a power in europe this subsidence of the rational side of protestantism arose not only from the character of the chief reformers and the real nature of their work it was also in the end the natural result of their position the very strength of the spiritual excitement which they had roused needed by and by to be curbed the tide of religious passion swelled till it threatened to burst all bounds and to subvert the order of society luther himself had to struggle against his own headlong impulses and karlstadt came in his wake he was forced to forget the pope while he declaimed against his theological colleague and the zwickau fanatics and calvin recognized his most persistent and hated opponents in the libertines at geneva who strove continually to cross his purposes it was absolutely necessary therefore to set a restraint upon the impulses of inquiry and to break in the spirit of freedom which in its license menaced the very existence of the church and so the very men who had headed the enthusiastic forces of the reformation as they broke down the old barriers of authority and spread themselves as springs of religious revolution throughout europe are found ere long busy in collecting consolidating and placing anew under authority the spiritual energies which they had everywhere called forth when we thus look at all the circumstances we have no difficulty in understanding what may seem otherwise surprising the extremely dogmatic character which protestantism soon assumed this tendency lay in it from the beginning in its intense assertion of one side of the evangelical principle what the germans called the material in contradistinction to the formal side if the spiritual life which the movement had evoked was not to be wasted but to grow into a social and educative power it must incarnate itself in dogma and take to itself a legislative and controlling as well as quickening function towards the human conscience the national protestant churches could never have made a stand against the reviving influence of rome could never in fact have been formed into stable organizations at all without a distinctive basis of christian opinion and a definite power of discipline and so it came to pass that in the second stage of the reformation the principle of authority had almost entirely superseded the principle of inquiry the men of dogma have everywhere come to the front luther always opinionative grew more violently so from the time of his conflicts with the anabaptists and his conference with zwingli zwingli himself of all the leaders of the movement the most candid rational and open-minded perished prematurely melanchthon and castellio almost alone remained representatives of the earlier humanistic spirit but the former was overborne by the rabies theologorum bred of a hardening lutheranism and the latter had no chance with calvin the prevailing protestantism of the sixteenth century set aside both these men its scholastic dogmatism repudiated the one its evangelical earnestness the other while the fate of servetus was a terrible warning to all who might attempt to carry the rational spirit to extreme lengths and to venture into speculations not only beyond the verge of augustinianism but of traditionary theology altogether in the second half of the sixteenth century protestantism is almost stationary in its character as in its progress it has grown into churches which from this time make little advance it has consolidated its theology which henceforth receives few or no additions all the great protestant creeds with two exceptions which rather illustrate than contradict our statement were completed long before the end of the century footnote the series of lutheran symbolic books was summed up by the formula of concord in fifteen seventy seven of the numerous confessions of the reformed church all connected with the movement of the sixteenth century were in existence before this and even early in the preceding decade End of footnote. the men who formed them had no doubts or hesitations they were dogmatists and not inquirers 
they set forth what they believed to be a definite system of truth against a definite system of error in nothing did they ask what is truth and remain in any question whether they had found an answer they confidently opposed dogmatism to dogmatism and for a time the questioning intellectual side of protestantism may be said to have sunk out of sight altogether but it was in the very nature of the movement as well as in the course of events that the rational side of protestantism should again ere long emerge in lutheranism indeed this was not to be the case till after a long while and then in a form of extreme reaction proportioned to the depression which it had undergone the miseries of the thirty years war and still more the unhappy influence exerted by luther's personal name and influence and the barren controversies arising out of the minuter adjustments of his theological system destroyed for a time all genuine activity of thought in the lutheran church a more deplorable period of religious contention than that which attended and followed the death of melanchthon is scarcely to be found it is spoken of by the germans themselves as a new scholastic epoch from its similarity to the absurd and wasteful argumentativeness which characterized the age preceding the reformation the baleful effects of this dogmatic frivolity and bigotry extended far into the next century with an exception like calixtus there can hardly be said to be a living theological thinker in germany from luther to bengel this should be borne in mind in connection with the later history of german theology the home of rational thought was certainly not in germany in the earlier times of protestantism we must look elsewhere for its reappearance if lutheran theology rapidly hardened into dogmatism calvinism was intensely dogmatic from the beginning calvin was a far more powerful and consistent theologian than luther his conceptions of christian doctrine were at once more clear and more definitely and thoroughly organized adopting the same great outlines of augustinianism which it never occurred either to him or luther to question he elaborated them if not with a more penetrative and profound insight yet with far more logical coherence and proportion he put every relative dogma in its place with legal exactness and adjusted all the parts of the theological system so completely that he left no room among his followers for the host of minor disputes which infested the lutheran church but this very completeness of the calvinian dogmatism prepared the way for a reaction satisfactory in the highest degree to those who accepted its main principles and identified them without hesitation with the teaching of st paul to other minds of a less unquestioning character it left no scope for the free play of christian thought while its stern logical consecutiveness directly tended to grate against the edge of this thought the system in short broke down just where its triumphant logic topped its highest summit the doctrine of absolute predestination was the keystone of the whole augustine himself had not shrunk from the most extreme consequences of this doctrine and neither did calvin but these consequences were such as to revolt many minds more christian so to speak than logical the very enthusiasm of spiritual feeling which made their own religious interests so vital to them drew them back from the results of a logic which seemed harsh and unchristian they felt there must be a flaw somewhere in a system which however consecutive terminated in such results for after all the idea of the divine benevolence is as essential as that of the divine omnipotence and if we cannot separate from god the thought of absolute will neither can we separate from him the thought of absolute good the same grace which on one side issues in predestinarian determinism saving whom it will according to its own elective arbitration or mere good pleasure on the other side takes the form of divine love which instinctively desires the good of all and wills all men to be saved it was inevitable therefore that a reaction should spring up against the rigidity of the calvinian doctrine and such a reaction was all the more likely the more this doctrine had touched the national life of a people and become one of its mainsprings of action the very stimulus which it thus gave to the religious and moral consciousness was sure in course of time to call forth opposition there was only required some free life and energy of thought to develop it this is exactly as we find the fact to be 
no national life upon the whole had been so powerfully moved by calvinism as that of holland or the low countries where for more than a century before the reformation evangelical principles had been widely circulated calvinism gathered up these principles and stamped them in the belgic confession with its most rigorous and earnest impress footnote the belgic confession was in the first instance a private document composed in french by guido de bray in fifteen sixty two it was subsequently published in dutch and german and in fifteen sixty six it was adopted in a condensed form by the synod of antwerp it was finally approved after revision by the synod of dort End of footnote. it suited the religious genius of the country it nursed the heroic character of william of orange and inspired the popular mind with that proud desire of national independence which maintained itself unshaken in one of the sternest and grandest struggles which patriotism has ever waged and in its indomitable enthusiasm proved more than a match for all the intrigue and cruelty of philip the second here where its intellectual and political action was so vigorous are discovered the first traces of opposition to it and the ultimate development of a formidable rival system End of chapter one part one